You're listening to Healthy Living with Eric Sue podcast, episode number 85. This episode is sponsored by Eric Sue Insider, an online community where you get advice and tips from Eric Sue on weekly conference calls. Learn more at slash insider and how you can get started. Hey there, it's Eric Sue, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening to my podcast. If you are new, welcome. And if you are a longtime listener, I appreciate your continued support. Did you know your review on iTunes and Stitcher helps grow this podcast? Well, it does, so write a review today. Not into writing a review? Then maybe you would like to make a small donation. You can do so by clicking the Be My Patron Podbean link on my podcast page. Finally, helping others is the name of the game, so help a friend by sharing this podcast with them. Let's keep this movement growing. Now on to the show. Health tips and useful wellness advice without the hype. Welcome to Healthy Living with Eric Sue Podcast with inspiring guests and engaging fitness, nutrition, and the healthy living topics. You will be entertained and excited until the end. And now your host, Eric Sue. Hey guys, Eric Sue here. Welcome to another episode of Healthy Living with Eric Sue. We have a returning guest with us today. Her name is Allison Eglin. If you don't remember her, she was episode number 18. Well, today we're going to be talking about food allergies. So without any delay, let me introduce you all to Allison. Allison, are you ready to make it happen? <laughs> yes, definitely. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Dr. Allison Eglin is a naturopathic physician with additional training in functional medicine. She obtained her Doctorate of Naturopathic Medicine at National University of Health Sciences in Lombard, Illinois. She was inspired to pursue a degree in naturopathic medicine after struggling with her own chronic health issues. Utilizing a health holistic approach, she works with each individual to understand his or her unique health challenges and goals. In her practice, she takes a thorough health history and may utilize a number of laboratory and functional medicine tests. Some of the treatments may include diet and lifestyle changes, targeted vitamin and nutrition therapy, botanical medicine, homeopathy, hydrotherapy, detoxification, and IV nutrition therapy. So Allison, thank you for being a guest again. I really appreciate it. Let's dive right into this topic of food allergies if we could. And um, let's go into the first uh, topic, which is food allergies versus food sensitivities. Can you share a little bit more about that? So I think it's really helpful to explain the difference between a food allergy versus a food sensitivity. I think it's definitely an area that can cause a lot of confusion. Um, so a food allergy, that's a, a very um, reaction that many of us are familiar with. Those are the, the immediate type reactions, the hives, the throat swelling. Some people might even uh, vomit with a, a true food allergy. And that's a reaction um, by the part of the immune system called IgE, it's an IgE-mediated reaction. Um, and the food sensitivities are a little bit different. That's an actually an IgG-type immune-mediated reaction. And those reactions are also called delayed-type hypersensitivities because they happen a little bit later. They can happen three hours later. They can happen even up to three days to a week later. And those type of immune responses 
um, basically they give off different types of inflammatory molecules, and that's why those reactions can be different. But some of the, the, the reactions with a delayed type hypersensitivity, again, that's also the IgG-mediated reactions, can be some of those complex chronic symptoms. Um, some of those symptoms might be like a chronic sinus issue, um, definitely gastrointestinal issues, including um, diarrhea, constipation, even reflux. Um, some I've actually had a lot of patients with joint pain as a result of food sensitivity. Uh, brain fog can also lead to higher blood pressure. Even some more complex conditions like interstitial cystitis, eczema, psoriasis. Um, there's so many things that can be related to these delayed type hypersensitivities. And again, they can be very, very difficult to pinpoint because the reactions can be so delayed. I have a quick question for you, Allison. Um with these mm-hmm. food allergies versus food sensitivities. Um, I've noticed a lot of people uh, developing these conditions. Uh, are, are most people developing them, or do, do you find that most people have them uh, early on? Oh, that's another really great question. So um, everybody has a different genetic predisposition and then you combine that with our environmental exposures, our diet, our lifestyle. There's so many different things to consider. Um, I definitely think that as we get older, we're exposed to more chemicals over our lifetime. Mm. And then I definitely think that's why some people, you know, later in life, all of a sudden start to develop some of these allergies or food sensitivities. And sometimes also these food sensitivities can also be triggered by some other type of infection whether it's just a common viral infection, um, sometimes it could be food poisoning, it could be um, a bacterial infection, it could be even chronic stress because all of these things cause a, an inflammatory response in the body and it can lead to something called leaky gut, which is not really a pretty term, but it pretty accurately describes what happens. Basically, we get so much inflammation in the digestive tract that that barrier becomes compromised in protein particles from our food can start slipping through that aren't properly digested and then that alerts the immune response and kind of causes that hyperimmune response and that's also thought to be one of the major factors contributing to an autoimmune condition. Hmm. So there's a lot of complexity to that answer and like you know I've I've, uh, talked to some people who say oh I just can't eat this anymore and and, um, is that what kind of is the outcome of all these um, um, chemicals and stuff like that that's we're putting into our bodies? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, um, pretty much. I think it's a little bit different for each person just depending on their situation. So so one person, um, their increased immune reaction might be kicked off by some kind of, again, viral or bacterial infection, while as the next person it could be due to chronic stress or, or a very stressful event such as a car accident something that causes a a major stressor on the body, which results in an inflammatory response. So um, definitely can be due to multiple things, but but yes. (laughs) Okay, okay, excellent, excellent. Um, Was there anything more you wanted to share about food allergies versus food sensitivities? Um, I think the, the other thing to point out is that if you do become sensitive to certain foods or even a number of foods, it's not necessarily something that's going to be an issue forever. 
factors. Uh. Once we can calm down that inflammatory reaction, I do a lot of GI healing with my patients. And so we might need to avoid those problematic foods for a period of time, usually somewhere around six to eight weeks while we work on um, GI healing. So there's things like glutamine, zinc carnosine, some um, other calming botanicals that can actually help coat and soothe and calm that inflammation. So once we get the GI tract healed and avoid those problematic foods, we just kind of got to get ahead of that inflammation. A lot of people can then reintroduce those foods and um, most people do fine after that. There might be a few problematic foods that continue to be a problem for people, and those foods tend to be dairy, eggs, and gluten-containing grains, such as wheat, rye, and barley. There are some people that have a continued inflammatory reaction to those specific foods. Um, But for the most part, once we do GI healing, kind of get people back on track, they become... Um, much to- more tolerant of, of foods in general and, and no longer experience those chronic problems like the joint pain, the chronic sinus issues, the you know the skin rash, eczema, psoriasis, and some of those other complex chronic things that can be a result of the, um, the food sensitivity reaction. Hmm. You know, this may be a, a dumb question, but there's never a dumb question. And someone in my audience may be thinking the same thing, which is can someone who has developed a food allergy... Uh, reverse that situation? Or is it allergy okay, is a little so bit more permanent? Yeah, so that's that's another great question. So an allergy is something that's more permanent. Um, that part of the immune system is definitely, um, definitely more ingrained. Uh, I will say you can reduce that IgE reaction. So many people are probably familiar with um, allergy shots. So basically, you're continually introducing a very small amount of the aggravating substance to kind of build up a tolerance to it. So we can definitely improve that IgE allergy-mediated response um, to the point where it may no longer even be an issue. Um, So that actually, that is a really, really great question. Cool. And is that also true for the sensitivity, or is the sensitivity less permanent? Is that what you said earlier? Yeah, so the food sensitivity is a little different. So sometimes, because I do a lot of food sensitivity testing, and sometimes we'll see food on the food the food sensitivity test that, such as gluten, dairy. So those types of things can be an ongoing problem for people, an ongoing food sensitivity. But if somebody has that that leaky gut, that inflammation in the digestive tract, and basically all of the food proteins that they're eating start you know, kind of slipping through those cracks and getting into the bloodstream, the immune response is going to be overreacting to all of those proteins. Those types of sensitivities can definitely go away. So we're always trying to um, decipher when we get the food sensitivity test results, what is a true sensitivity versus what is coming up as reactive because of the compromised digestive tract barrier. Mm. And and these tests, what, what does it entail real quick? Oh, so the um, the food sensitivity testing is a standard blood draw, and so they're looking at the immune complexes within that to gauge the reactivity to the different foods. Okay. All and there's right. a lot of different tests out there that, that look at those things. Excellent, excellent. And then um, certainly you're able to do that where you are located, and we'll, we'll get into that all that information a little bit later. Um, I, I see this, this topic of gluten, the problem with gluten. 
Um, can you share with us a little bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. So gluten is definitely a hot topic. I'm sure everybody's been hearing a lot about gluten-free diets. They see it on the menus. This, this food item is marked as being gluten-free. And I definitely think there's um, this is another area where there's a lot of confusion. I think for some people it, it's considered a fad diet, but for people who really feel the benefit of going gluten-free, it's it's much more than a fad. Um, and I think one of the important things to explain is that there's so many different reasons why people can react to gluten or have a problem with it. And so um, it kind of goes back to what we were originally talking about. Some people can have a true allergy to gluten, which is that IgE-mediated immune reaction, while other people can have a food sensitivity, which is that IgG-mediated immune reaction that we've already talked about. Um, other people can have an autoimmune condition. Most people have heard of celiac disease. That's basically where the immune system gets confused between that gluten protein. It's very similar to some of the proteins in the small intestine. And the immune reaction starts to attack not only the gluten protein, but also those um, the tissues in the small intestine. And that's a very serious disease and serious problem. But the cool thing is the treatment for it is to just be gluten-free. Mm. Sometimes it's easier said than done, but it's it's pretty amazing that you can completely cure this life-threatening disease just by avoiding gluten. Um, there's still two other reasons people can react to gluten. One of them is pesticides. Um, it's pretty interesting. They heavily spray wheat with something called glyphosate or also known as Roundup. It helps increase the yield. And so if you think about it, they're spraying pesticides right before they're harvesting the wheat. Mm. And so a lot of people are very sensitive to the pesticides, so that could also cause problems. And then the other thing is, too, um, wheat is not supposed to be genetically modified, but it has been hybridized in a way that increases the protein, which is the gluten content. And because the gluten content is so much a much higher percentage than what we kind of adapted to originally, some people react to that increased amount of gluten. They might do fine with a little bit, but that high percentage causes a little bit of confusion, again, for the immune system or um, more of a reaction. So there's at least five different ways people can be sensitive to gluten. And um, I've also, you know, followed some of the research from Alessio Fasano. He's a uh, one of the lead researchers out of Harvard, I believe, and he estimates that everyone has an inflammatory response to gluten um, and that two-thirds of those people have a significant inflammatory response, whereas one-third probably won't notice a reaction, but the other two-thirds will notice a reaction. Interesting. And, you know, I have to ask real quick, too, um, you know, what, what, what would be the surefire test to see if you are sensitive or allergic to gluten? Oh, yeah, so we do have a lot of tests available. Part of the, the testing can be done with the food sensitivity testing, so that's looking at the IgG reaction. But again, there's so many other types of immune reactions we can have to wheat or gluten. Um, some of the specialty functional medicine labs can check for all different types of reactions. To my knowledge, there's not a test to know if you're reacting to the pesticides or the increased content of gluten, but we can definitely check for other types of immune responses such as an IgE, IgG, IgA. 
Those are all immune type responses that we can have to the different portions of gluten. And there's also something called gliadin, which is another portion of gluten that some people react um, more strongly to that protein. And what what exactly happens in some scenarios when gluten is eliminated? What what kind of uh, um, positive outcomes occur from removing gluten from someone's diet? That's yeah, that's an excellent question. It's so funny because I have patients that will tell me the most interesting things. I mean, some some common things are my joint pain went away, I have more energy, I sleep better. I've had people tell me, though, that their heart palpitations go away, um, that their interstitial cystitis went away. So there's, it can really be linked with some really chronic debilitating issues for people. So um, I'm always surprised and love to hear all of the interesting things that improve when people go gluten-free. And I think it's really something that, you know, if, even if you just want to try it for a couple weeks, see how you feel, notice the change. Now, I will say with people that have a, you know, a really complex chronic condition, such as rheumatoid arthritis, I'm just thinking of a specific patient. You know, she cut out a number of foods that were problematic, gluten being one of them. It took her about six months to really feel the full benefit, um, but she did start to notice some benefits a little bit sooner. So mm-hmm. sometimes you really need to be off of it for long term, especially if you have a, a severe complex chronic condition. Mm-hmm. So there are tests, and then there there is just testing to see how you feel if you just um, stop consuming it, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we certainly have a lot of lab tests, again, that can look for, you know, antibodies and different types of immune reactions to gluten. Um, sometimes people don't show up with any type of positive um, testing to those things, but then they still eliminate it anyway and end up feeling a lot better. So again, we don't have a test for every type of reaction. So that's why the best test sometimes is just to eliminate it and see how you feel. I see. I see. Cause I'm, I'm thinking a lot of the audience listen, listening to this would be like thinking, well, should I just stop eating gluten and see how I feel? Or should I get tested? That's the sort of where I was coming with that. Okay. Yeah. Great question. Um, I think Testing can definitely be helpful, but I don't think you have to do testing. Some of the tests are really quite expensive. So if you just kind of wanted to do your own test and eliminate it and see how you feel, I think that's truly the best measure of whether or not you're you're gluten sensitive. I will say that it's very difficult to eliminate gluten for a lot of people, and some people need to see that, you know, that hard copy of that lab work saying, yes, your immune system is reacting to this in a very negative way. It could be causing a lot of health problems for you. Some people need to see that um, that confirmed lab report in order to really be motivated to give it up because it takes a lot of willpower. It takes a lot of checking, especially if you go out to eat. You have to really, you know, make sure they understand you can't have anything with gluten, that it's a serious, you know, a serious reaction. It may, may or may not be for you, but um, it, it takes a lot of diligence and willpower and and so everyone's a little different. <laughs> Got it. No problem. Excellent. Excellent. Um, moving along, if we could, um, we have this uh, topic of GMOs and um, why are they mm-hmm. problematic? Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah. Okay. So another another very hot topic. So GMO stands for genetically modified organisms, and so the idea behind it is actually. 
really nice and that they just want to be able to feed more people. So I, I you know, I, I think as far as science is concerned, I think the idea behind it is, is really a great one. The issue is, is when you start genetically modifying things, you're changing the protein sequences. And when we change protein sequences, that can, oh, sorry, let me back check a little. We've evolved with our food supply over thousands and thousands of years, and our immune system has to be really smart. It has to understand what's a virus, what's a bacteria, what's our own body tissue, what's um, a safe food protein, what's going to be harmful. So our immune system has to be really smart and understand all of these different things, what's dangerous and what's safe. But when we start changing the protein sequences of certain foods faster than we've adapted for our immune system to acknowledge them, that can cause a lot of confusion for the immune system. And so I hope I'm explaining this okay. It's fine. Go ahead. Um, so the problem comes in when we change the protein structure, the immune system may or may not recognize that food as being safe. But does that make sense? Yep, absolutely. Okay, okay, great. And then the other issue with genetically modified foods is that a lot of times, specifically corn and soy, there's other ones as well, they are genetically modified so that they can withstand higher doses of pesticides. And so not only do those foods contain altered protein structures that can confuse the immune system, they also contain more pesticides, which can also be very toxic to our cells. And so for a number of reasons, genetically modified foods can be really problematic for people. Excellent. Good. And w one of the things that I've been noticing in the marketplace and a lot of the companies are advertising now is that their products are non-GMO, right? And, and that's a mm -hmm. good, good thing, isn't it, would you say? Or... What's your opinion? Yeah. Yes, yes. I actually really like it that, that products are labeled non-GMO. Um, and I, I, you may or may not have heard there's a huge movement for people to label genetically modified foods. And, you know, there's a big, huge legislative uproar over that. Mm. <laughs> um, but at least people can label not genetically modified to kind of help consumers. Right. And, and um, the more that we eat non-GMO, obviously the, the healthier our bodies will be because of what you said about the altered proteins and so forth. And we want to, I'm assuming you would agree, eat as clean as possible and eating non-GMO is one way to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I do still think it's important to recognize when something's been really highly processed and refined and packaged. So, you know, I think... You know, eating non-GMO is, is one important aspect, but the more we can eat close to whole, natural, unprocessed food, that's kind of the other important piece of that. Because um, believe it or not, I have gone to the store and seen like organic gummy candies and organic this and that and non-GMO, and it's still a processed, highly processed mm -hmm. food. Is it better than the, than the GMO corn syrup other gummy? Well, yeah, but it's still going to be a highly processed food. So it's just you know, all about doing the best you can and, and eating the minimally processed whole foods as much as possible. Absolutely. Now, um, some of my listeners may be wondering, well, what's the best way to eat now? And so to avoid allergies or to uh, reduce sensitivities, is there a surefire way to eat to uh, reduce the allergies and sensitivities? So... Another great question. 
I will say this. Diet is very tricky for a number of things. I, I don't think there's any one right diet for anyone. But if we go back to eating the whole unprocessed food, I will say organic as much as possible is, tends to be better. Um, I think that's, that's a good place to start. Um, but the foods that do tend to cause the most problems for people for a number of reasons, again, they tend to be inflammatory in the body. And these are also the foods I see come up over and over again on food, ten- food sensitivity testing. And those are things like wheat, corn, soy, dairy, and eggs. Even though I think eggs especially can be very healthful, there's something about the proteins, especially the egg whites, that tend to be problematic for people. Um, and then sugar. Sometimes people also need to avoid things like peanuts um, and regular nuts, like tree nuts. But um, the, the issue with peanuts is, first of all, the proteins. We know that that tends to be a very common um, anaphylactic-type reaction for people, which is that scary, life-threatening immune reaction um, that is IgE-mediated. Um, but peanuts also contain something called aflatoxins, which essentially is a mold, but it truly is a toxin in pretty small amounts and so a lot of people don't necessarily notice a reaction to it but if you are very sensitive to molds and if you're eating a lot of peanut butter it could also be a problem for you even if you're not having that scary immune reaction to it so so just real quick here what's left to eat <laughs> <laughs> okay there's so many other things to eat but i i do understand I've, i felt like that myself before um so Generally, all of your good, healthy fruits and vegetables are well-tolerated. Um, also, things like squash, sweet potato, even regular potatoes can be, um, you know, have a lot of nutrients in them. Um, but the more we're eating our dark leafy greens, our brassica family vegetables like kale, broccoli, cauliflower, I always joke they're the smelly, sulfury ones. Um, those are all very high nutrient foods. And then your brightly colored vegetables like beets, carrots, again, squash, um, and then brightly colored berries, all of our yummy blueberries, strawberries, blackberries, all of those things are very high nutrient-rich foods. We really want to focus on those. And then um, for people who eat meat, um, grass-fed meat's a great choice, organic chicken, wild-caught fish. Um, for anyone who's a vegan or vegetarian, hemp seeds, chia seeds, flax seeds, those can all be great sources, also great for um, great sources of protein, fiber, omega-3s, and then some of the legumes can also be, be good sources for people too. So there's still a lot out there to eat. It's really just about kind of shifting your thinking and, and what you're doing. And, uh, the, I always tell people to the first week of the dietary changes is, is the most difficult, just trying to figure out all of the new foods to eat. But there's really so many great health health-promoting foods out there that we can find and eat. Yeah, and actually, um, all of what you listed there um, sounds great, I think, to people. And then I think one of the issues when I speak with people, they're not sure how to prepare them. And I think that is the key, would you say, is how to prepare all those ingredients you just listed so that the meal is tasty, uh, flavorful, um, and, and healthy. And I think that's really the key. Ultimately, it's not limiting. I don't think you didn't say you couldn't have pizza, did you? Or, I mean, there's many ways to prepare pizza, isn't there? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I will say that pizza does contain gluten and dairy, and I believe there's probably eggs in the crust. So for some people, that can be problematic. If you if you don't have any health issues, I think it's something you can enjoy, you know, on a, you know, once-in-a-while basis. 
Um, but if you are really sensitive to those foods, I have seen some really good alternatives for, you know, pizza with gluten-free crust. You can always make yours at home. Um, there's some interesting vegetarian or vegan cheeses out there that are made from, like, rice and tapioca. It's, it's, it's tricky. <laughs> well, definitely, though, it's possible, right? That's the, that's the key. It's definitely <laughs> possible to make our favorites, if you will. Yes, yes. Oh, and there's some really cool um, cauliflower crusts out there that I, I've seen on Pinterest and some of those other really fun uh, recipe websites. Uh, so another great resource is any recipe that's a paleo recipe usually avoids processed foods and some of those top food allergens like the wheat, dairy, and soy, corn. Um, so searching out those paleo recipes can be helpful for people. I don't think people necessarily have to be follow a strict paleo diet, but that's a good start when you're searching for new healthy recipes. Yeah, and, and it's really important to, to know that um, uh, eating clean, eating healthy can be um, flavorful and tasty too, and that's the whole point. A lot of times I think when I talk to people and I'm suggesting, you know, clean whole food, uh, foods and and so forth. They they immediately think, oh, it's not going to be tasty or it's not so health or um, flavorful. And so uh, I think that that's sort of the misconception, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh, there's so many delicious foods out there. I I agree. I think you just have to, like you had mentioned, you know, find the fun recipes. Be adventurous. Be open to trying new things. And the other really important thing to know too is that your taste buds will adapt. I mean, if you're used to eating, um, drinking like Diet Coke, which is super sweet, and some of these other processed foods that have a lot of added sugar and salt, once you eliminate those and really start eating a more clean whole food diet, your taste buds will actually prefer those foods over the processed things that you had been previously eating. It just, it takes a little bit of an adaption period, but um, you definitely will start to prefer the new foods if you give yourself a little time. Right, right. And, and just once again, highlighting all the great benefits of eating this way, right? Uh, maybe losing weight and so forth of what, what you said earlier. Definitely. Getting your energy back. Uh, again, you know, all of those chronic issues like the chronic sinusitis, which can also lead to headaches, again, joint pain, brain fog, digestive issues, all of those things can pretty much, well, again, depending on the individual, but those things, I've seen them improve over and over again, with just some of these healthy diet changes and, and calming the inflammation and the digestive tract. So Very good. it's really worth feeling better too. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's the biggest thing, feeling better. Um, so what would you, what could you tell someone, uh, what's the first step they should take um, to seeing if they have these food allergies or sensitivities or gluten sensitivities, uh, what would you say would be their first step? So there's pretty much two options, which makes it kind of easy. The first is you could do your own elimination diet, and so you could eliminate the most problematic foods. Again, your gluten-containing grains like wheat, rye, and barley, corn, soy, dairy, eggs, sugar, peanuts, and nuts. So completely avoid those. Again, focusing on all of your good fruits and vegetables, lean proteins, seeds, nuts. And then ideally once you start feeling better, wait at least two or three weeks, sometimes longer for people depending on, on the, their starting level of health. Um, slowly add those foods back in one at a time, wait a few days, and just 
to look for reactions. Some people don't realize how bad they felt eating that food until they remove it and then add it back in. So that's one way to do it is just do an elimination diet. Uh, the other is to do food sensitivity testing, and that can be really helpful, especially for some of those things that you might not react to until a few days later. Oh, the other thing about the elimination diet, too, is we can become sensitive to the foods we eat on a regular basis. And I always like to use myself as an example. I um, I had been eating spinach every single, every single day because I'm like, oh, spinach is so good for me. So spinach salad, putting it in my smoothies. Um, well, when I did my food sensitivity test, I was really highly reactive to spinach. I was also highly reactive to almonds, which I was drinking almond milk, eating almonds pretty much every day as well. So we can become sensitive to the foods we eat on a regular basis. So it's, it's important to rotate foods. So um, back to the elimination diet, it's also helpful to avoid any food that you're eating more than three times a week because mm. you may have developed a sensitivity to that as well. Excellent. And and you're able to do these tests, the food allergy sensitivity tests, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I do a lot of food sensitivity testing because it can be really difficult to do the, the elimination diet. Some people you know, are very gung-ho and can do it, but a lot of people, even myself included, it can become very tedious and and can be very limiting as far as diet. So um, I do like the food sensitivity testing. I think it provides a lot of great information and really helps give you that motivation to eliminate the food when you see it, you know, on your results. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for all my listeners, you can take it from me. I, I've visited Allison and seen her... Um, testing if you will and the outcomes and all of the metrics so definitely she can do it so how do people get a hold of you allison and where are you located um, so, yeah so we're located in schaumburg illinois um right at roselle and in wise road uh we're right by tribalance yoga for any of the yogis out there that, that go there it's a pretty awesome place um but yeah just calling is probably the best way it's eight four seven Um, You can also look us up online, skybalancemedspa.com. And you're on social media as well if they want to check out any of your information? Yeah, I do have a Facebook page. It's Dr. Allison Eglund, naturopathic doctor. Awesome. We'll put all that information on the show notes. you know, we, we were talking earlier how this topic can take 30 minutes, and it certainly has. And I know we have some other topics that uh, we can always cover uh, in another uh, podcast. I think we will about hypertension, I think, is another topic. Um, so, But look out for Allison a few more times down the road. I really appreciate what you've shared with us today, Allison. It was very knowledgeable information and useful as well. So I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for having me. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, Eric. Hey, it's Eric Sue again. Before I close the show, I'm excited to announce an upcoming three-part series with Dr. Andrew Hopkins about fitness, nutrition, and living a healthy lifestyle. Dr. Andrew was on episode number 30 if you missed his first show with me. This three-part series will be released in early March, so look out for it. Now to the close. Thank you so much for joining us today on Healthy Living with Eric Sue. Head over to ericwsue.com for full recaps of every show and Eric's health and wellness blog. Your healthy living is waiting for you, so stay active and be safe.